Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to our first Tech Radio Show of 2016 with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. However, you got our show today from our website at techcentral.ie, a smartphone podcast app or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RT Radio 1 Extra. Thank you for having us part of your week. Joining me as ever is Tech Central editor Niall Kitson and we're kicking off the year with two big shows. In Las Vegas, we have the latest from the CES Consumer Electronics Show and here at home, uh, Niall has been spending a day at the Young Scientists Exhibition. Uh, Niall, are you impressed with our young people and their and their projects? Yeah, well, you know, when I went around uh, doing interviews for this show, I, I was thinking, like, I just sort of focused on the technology section, but I was like, I could be here for four days, I could interview maybe 40 people and still only scratch the surface of what's going on. So, you know, we've, we've got 10 really good interviews and uh, it'll really just do little more than give people a flavour of what's going on. So that's actually a really good thing because it shows how uh, young people are engaging with science and doing things that, gosh, I never would have been able mm-hmm. to do in my younger years. Well, listen, before we get into the best of the Young Scientists exhibition, let's talk about CES in Las Vegas, which, of course, is also making the headlines this week. Um, that, that there's just... There's too much going on, all right? There's ridiculous amount. I mean, like Netflix uh, made a big announcement today, uh, which you were hugely impressed with, which was? Uh, Netflix is going global, 190 countries. It is now your favourite TV channel that you can only get online. That's one of the things we're not going to talk about. That's how much is going on in CES. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that that got dropped. <laughs> so listen, we've, we've got three things that we just want to really kind of run a skirt over more than anything else. Now, I, and I do uh, uh, hasten to say that there's a lot more coverage on the website at techcentral.ie. But um, one of the things I know that doesn't impress you with tech anymore, and I kind of doesn't impress me either to a certain extent is uh, is television because we've had these 4K TVs and ultra high definition and yada yada and all that kind of stuff uh, and we've always come back to the thing of like you know once they got over the, the whole LCD flat screen TV thing they've just made them thinner and thinner and bigger and bigger and so what like you know the content still isn't there to watch Curved Yeah I, th- I think that's pretty much the problem I mean we're getting to yeah. stage where LG is releasing TVs that are the width of a couple of credit cards put together, mm. um, starting screen sizes. I've noticed that as they get as they get bigger, they're getting narrower. So yeah. you know, you've got a, a TV that's the, a couple of credit card things wide, but it's own, but it's also yeah. you know eighty eight inches. Well, that's because te- televisions. Very little uh, known fact is televisions are made out of pastry, and when you roll them, they get bigger ah, and thinner. Geez. You see, <laughs> that, that explains a lot. I was I was impressed though with the headline uh, grabbing LG TV, which is as you say, it's the size of two or three credit cards put together, and you can hang it on a wall. Uh, the one problem with it that I've come across is uh, that uh, you can't really hang it on a wall as you would like to, and use it like wallpaper because you still have the problem of the sound bar and the speakers, which are not wafer thin. Well, that's <laughs> the thing because you know whenever you get a thin television, something is going to be sacrificed, yeah. and first on the list 
is always the quality of the sound. Absolutely. So it's almost inevitable that you end up having to buy a sound bar or some mm. sort of 5.1 or 7.1 system. Anyway, listen, that's, that's, that's TVs. They, they continue to get bigger and slimmer and I'm impressed with how far they're going, but it's not making me, you know, my, it's not making me drool wanting one in particular. What was at the show that made you drool and went, I have to buy one of these in 2016? Uh, well, I have to buy, but I can't afford. Um, there are two things, all under the one heading of virtual reality. Um, HTC showed off the Vive Pre, um, which they say will be available in April, but they're not saying how much. I've actually used a version of the Vive uh, over the Christmas period. Now, just so, so, just uh, so, I, so I can, just so I can bring myself up to speed, the, the Vive is the virtual reality helmet, isn't it? It is indeed. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go on. Uh, and it's pretty fantastic, uh, I have to say. It, it is what I expected virtual reality to be. Um, so that's the that's the Vive. Uh, also, we now know that Oculus will be shipping the Rift in March, uh, which is about a month earlier than they said they would. So that, that's a good thing. Um, however, we don't have an exact date, uh, although pre-orders have opened. And we have a price. We finally have a price. Um, despite Oculus saying uh, it would initially go for about $350, in which case we went, ah, even if it's €350, Euro, yeah, fair enough, we'll, we'll go with it. How much would you pay for an Oculus Rift first generation? Uh, if, um, if you're bringing, are we talking like 200? <laughs> no, um, they're looking for $599. All oh, right, okay, Grant. <laughs> I was wondering which way you were going with that. Um, yeah, no. No, I've, I, there's no way I'm selling out 600 quid. And one of the things, one of the reasons being was that I was very impressed with the uh, the Samsung uh, Gear virtual reality helmet where you use your um, Note 4, your, your Note 5. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought out a really cheap version of that uh, for 100 quid or something uh, at Christmas. I didn't buy it for two reasons. Uh, number one was that I have to upgrade my Note 4 to Note 5 for it to work. And I went, no, I'm not spending 700 quid doing that. Um, and then the other thing is actually, do you know what? The software isn't there. It's a brilliant proof of concept. You know, this is fantastic and this is what could be done. But the actual things that you really want to do aren't there just yet. And I worry about the Oculus. Is the same thing going to happen in that they're going to bring out their first gen helmet and everybody's going to go crazy about it? And there'll be like three cool things you can do on it and you're bored with it after a week. Well, yeah, but I think one of the ways they're going to counteract that is by uh, engaging with the gaming space straight away. So it's not going to be a case where you're used to with cardboard or any of these things where you're using VR just to look at things, and look up and down and around. And blah, blah, blah. It's not going to be just that. You will be using VR to actually do stuff. Uh, and that's where the difference is going to be between the apps that maybe we're used to already and uh, what's going to be uh, what's going to be available when the headsets come out proper. But let's move on to something else. Yes, indeed. Uh, back to the Future, the movie, uh, when it came back to the Future 2 came out, of course, it predicted that in 2016, 2015, whatever it was, we would all have hoverboards. And of course, the world is bending over backwards trying to make real hoverboards at the moment. I thought it was interesting that the exact opposite was announced at CES this week, where uh, Samsung, or no, it wasn't uh, Samsung, it was Technics, uh, announced their brand new 1200 turntable. <laughs> Bringing it right back to the 80s again. Uh, the Technics 1200, for, for people who don't know, is just the only turntable that you can use if you're a disc jockey because it has a direct drive turntable. Uh, you can put your vinyl on it. You can hold the vinyl. And when you want it to start, it will start instantly. Uh, and it's a really, really well-made turntable and can stand up to a lot of abuse. Um, but of course, with everybody turning over to CDs and, and, and 
MP3s and what have you, they haven't made any since 2008. However, with the re-emergence of vinyl, they've brought out a new Technics 1200. They're doing a special edition one of which, guess how many units they're bringing out the special edition, Niall? Uh, 1200. Exactly. And each one of them <laughs> is going to be numbered and then after that they'll bring out the, the regular ones and they've done some work on the direct drive unit to make it even quieter and yada, yada, yada. All of this, even though I am a disc jockey and a huge collector of vinyl, is absolutely pants and no use to me because I sold my entire vinyl collection last year. <laughs> right. Well, I guess that sorts that out for you. But <laughs> if you were to get back in the vinyl trail, would you? Uh, do you know what? No, I wouldn't. Uh, I, ju- I just don't buy this whole, it doesn't sound as well as it does like vinyl. I think that I think the whole vinyl thing, I was watching a brilliant program today. We're talking about the albums and how albums were king in the 70s. And they're right because, you know, there was a certain thing about having to buy this album and the artwork and the size of it. And you put it on and you had to listen to it in order. However, now that we have iTunes, you can cherry pick tracks what you want and you can play them in whatever order you want. We're never going to go back. A certain amount of people are going to want that, but mm, it's never going to be a major thing again. Uh, For people who are into it, though, I meant to say uh, Sony have brought out another turntable as well. Uh, They've brought out one of these USB turntables where you can play your album and it will record it into an MP3 or in some other kind of high quality format for you as well. Um, Sony have done a very high quality version of what other people have been doing up until now, which have been fairly gimmicky record decks. That's the way I see it. Anyway, enough of record decks. Talk to me about something big. Something big. Uh, Okay. We uh, had an awful lot of headline grabbing stuff to do with cars and concept cars and things that are going to be running our cars and cars that are going to be running us and all this kind of stuff. Um, So top of the list is the Faraday Future FF01. Did you see this car? No, tell me about it. It it kind of looks like I I've seen. A, a, have you seen the trailer for Suicide Squad? <laughs> I haven't seen that there, either. There, there's a bit where there's a car in it. I think it's the Joker's car. It looks a bit wacky, and uh, to me, the Faraday FF zero one looks a bit like that, only without the red neon. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of strange looking. Um, we don't know when it's actually going to come out. Uh, all we know is that it will have four quad-core motors with over 1,000 horsepower, zero to 60 in less than three seconds, and a top speed of more than 200 miles per hour. Is any of that any use? I have no idea. I'm not a motorist. Tell uh, me. Is, is it an electric car? Uh, well, uh, quad-core motors. It must be. So. It must be if must it's be. four different uh, uh, things. Okay, that's not bad. Uh, yeah. Not to 60 in three seconds is, is okay to me, sounds like. Um, okay. I think it's interesting that somebody other than the Google is actually putting a car out there in the market. And I think that's going to be really, really interesting over... Do you know, I, the, the, all I hear here is me and, and self-driving cars, okay? Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of something of, of when I was growing... I, but there you go, just what we were talking about. If when you and I were kids, somebody said, do you know what, one day you'll be able to get a TV that's as thin as wallpaper and just stick it to the wall... We'd go, you're talking crazy talk, man. <laughs> we would, we would. I think that whole self-driving cars thing, is, and the virtual reality as well, is going to be something where in 15 or 20 years' time, people are just going to take it as, as, as fact. And you and I are kind of going to go, wow, that's still magic to me. Yeah, but would you not be a bit freaked out by the, the loss of control? You know... Yes and no. Uh, do you know t- two things? What did, one thing really, really hammered home to me. Do you remember we did the whole uh, program on drones last year? Yeah. 
And this is with a pilot, a guy who has flown, you know, 737s and Airbuses and all kinds of things over the years. And now he set up his own company running drones. And I laughingly said, do you think there will ever anything in this Amazon delivering packages by drones? And he absolutely believed Yes. And then he took it one step further. He said he believes there will be remote controlled passenger jets in the future. And you know what? I think there will. And if there is, well, then why not have self-driving cars? Even if it's something, can you imagine this? Okay. You're driving around in your car, yada, yada. You go wherever you want. But when you get onto the motorway, the M7 or whatever, then your car is taken over by the computer. Mm. And everybody yeah. drives. Do you know what? I bet the journeys will will happen a lot quicker because of this butterfly effect, where if somebody slows down or whatever, like literally they say can cause a, a traffic jam two miles back. Mm. That's a whole yeah. a whole other thing. Anyway, self driving cars, I think, is definitely one to uh, uh, to watch. Uh, one last thing from CES that both of us are actually kind of interested in, and it's from Samsung, and it's their concept of the family hub. What is the family hub? Yeah, now the, the family hub, it's kind of, it's, on one level, it's kind of their own platform, but Samsung at the same time have said, look, the, the internet of things is great, we're working, we're doing lots of work on it, but it's only really going to work if it's an open standard that you connect different things to. So, you know, there's no point in having to buy a Samsung kitchen if, say, you like something from Whirlpool and you like something from, I don't know, who else makes things, Melee, um, or, you know, if uh, World uh, Brand X or whatever mm. the heck. I haven't, I, ha- I haven't had to buy a white good in a long, long time. It'd be like if you, if um, you owned, a, you know, kind of a computer tablet or something like that. And in order to make it work with your television, you had to buy, say, a little TV box from the exact same company. Okay, let's not go there. I know what you're fishing for and we're not going there. <laughs> so Samsung are saying the exact opposite of Apple. It should be an open standard and it doesn't matter who the manufacturer is. They should all be able to use the same standard. Effectively, what they're talking about is they're talking like HTML and Tim Berners-Lee and, and, and the World Wide Web. Pretty much, yeah. So they've adopted this uh, idea that, you know, you, if you're working in the Internet of Things, specifically when it comes to appliances in the home, you've got to have good devices. You've got to have a good platform, which is Family Hope comes in, and it's got to be secure. Um, but, of course, when we're talking to this platform, we're, we're also speaking about a, an open standard, be it uh, an open standard in Wi-Fi connectivity or a common software like Android or something like that. Everything has to be interoperable. And one of the wackier things that Samsung came out with with Family Hope was this fridge. And it was a fridge with, what was it, a 21-inch Full uh, colour screen on the door of the fridge. And inside the fridge are three cameras. So you can keep an eye on what the milk is up to. And and this is the the exact sort of thing when I was talking to Philip Money from Intel last year. It was almost the exact thing he didn't want to get bogged down in. That he was like, look, yeah, that's that's fine. That's one example of the Internet of Things. It's not what the Internet of Things can, can really be about. And yet here Samsung is wheeling this thing out going, Internet of Things, example. Mm. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I really don't need another screen in my kitchen. I'm saying this now. In three years' time, I'll probably be like, hey, did I tell you I replaced my windows with screens? Um, but, you know, this is basically a tablet. You'll be able to manage all your messages, your emails, everything by looking at your fridge. Dusty, yeah, are no, you no. excited? Of course I'm not excited. And, you know, kind of they were writing this up and saying, uh, you know, it has three cameras inside the fridge so that while you're at the supermarket, you can take out your phone and you can look in your fridge to see what you need. And it's like, you know, oh, 
God, it's just complete pants. However, I think where Samsung are going uh, and where the Internet of Things is going is that you have something like, um, say say you keep the milk in a, in a certain part of the fridge, okay? And say there's a little sensor under there to weigh uh, what what's the weight of the milk. And uh, it could be just something that feeds into a little app on your phone or whatever it happens to be. And uh, it's able to tell from the weight how many litres of milk you have left, be it zero or be it half a litre or whatever. And that's the kind of thing that might be... You don't need a picture of the darn thing. But it's that kind of thing where your electronics are are talking to you and feeding you uh, uh, more information. I suppose maybe another thing possibly is you know a lot, a, lot, a lot of these insurance companies I don't like them but uh, you know the insurance companies have got smartphone apps now that you are supposed to turn on every time you go driving oh right this is new to me go ahead uh, alright uh, and basically what it'll do is it'll monitor your driving where you went what speed you were doing what was the speed limit in the area where you were driving how fast you took a corner all that kind of stuff um, you know that kind of that kind of information might be able to feed into you know the Internet of Things again if it was built into a car um, to help you improve your miles per gallon or whatever something like that. The, we're getting into concept talk, which we shouldn't really. We should be just talking about that. The fab new gadgets at CES. Like, let me wrap up with the Fitbit, who came out with a color version that is kind of a little bit like an Apple Watch, and as soon as they announced it, shares in Fitbit dived. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm quite sure all the investors are going, no, no, not the Apple. And you see, I knew I'd get a, a thing in there for, for Apple. Listen, that, I think we can draw a line under CES. It's been another kind of interesting show, but nothing really that made us kind of go, Brr, wow, did it? Do you know what? I think for that kind of thing, we, we almost have to go to Kickstarter. Yes, actually, uh, you're right. And I, th- I think the one that I look forward to the, for one of the first shows of the year that I really look forward to is the Mobile World Conference, which of course is in Barcelona, uh, next month, uh, 20th, 22nd, somewhere around there anyway. So anyways, let's get into the Young Scientists exhibition, which of course is happening in the RDS in Dublin all this week. And as we said earlier, Niall was there for an entire day and talked to somewhere between 40 and 50 people. And we've got the best of those interviews for you right now. I've come out to the RDS today to have a look at the entrance of the 52nd BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition. Um, right now we've got 550 finalist projects competing out over four categories of technology, chemical, physical and mathematical sciences, social and behavioural sciences and biological and ecological sciences. And of course it's that category of technology that I'm going to be going around today, interviewing some of the entrants and getting a feel for what sort of ideas are going to be shaped our lives in the future. First off today I'm talking to Eve McGlinchey from St. Leo's College in Carlo and her project is called Voice Controlled Home Automation with Raspberry Pi Technology. So Eve, explain to us a little bit about what your project is about. So my project consists of three Raspberry Pis, two of which are networked together and the other one which is on the same uh, local area network which is the Wi-Fi. Um, so the control Raspberry Pi regulates four Pi mode sockets, which are sockets that are programmed to receive radio signals. And the four sockets, they're completely customizable, but today I have in them a light, an electromagnetic lock, and a fan. And there's meant to be a radio, but I don't have the radio today. Um, and then the Pi, the control Pi is networked to another Raspberry Pi um, who can send 
uh, any song from 1 to 15, uh, so song 1 to song 15, to uh, a certain radio frequency that can be heard on a radio station. And then the third Raspberry Pi is the camera Pi. So um, with the door locking mechanism and the uh, camera together, it's kind of a security system. So with the camera, you can see who's at the door and let them in. So this is sort of a, a combination home automation, but also a security system as well. Yes, it is. And also the radio is kind of just a bit of fun that you can use. And uh, how long did the project take you to put together? Um, I've been working on this project since November of 2014, um, and I entered into another co uh, competition called SciFest, uh, which is a smaller version of this, and I went on to the national finals of that, uh, but I didn't win the overall prize, so then I came here. Well, thank you, Eve. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm now here looking at a, a project that looks to make coding easier for kids. So uh, to explain it all, I'm here with... Jordan Casey from, from Waterford. I'm, I'm looking at something that looks vaguely like um, Super Mario Brothers from maybe the mid-90s. So tell us a little bit about the game and how it works. Okay, uh, so Kids Code is pretty much an online virtual world for kids that combines a fun multiplayer experience with a visual programming language uh, with the aims to introduce kids to the fundamentals of programming, introduce them to collaborative skills by working with their friends and talking to their friends, and introduce them to creative skills by showing them the power of programming and how creative you can be with it. So uh, as a gamer, when you were putting this project together, were you, were you thinking, you know what, Call of Duty is fantastic because of multiplayer, that this really should be transferred? Yeah, definitely. Like, what I wanted to do with this was show people that maybe don't play a lot of sports, uh, the power of collaboration. So like, maybe if you don't do a sport, that, that skill, which is really important for any kind of career in the future, uh, is very hard to get. So that's, that's one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to add a collaborative aspect, and also because there was nothing like this out in the market. Jordan, this actually isn't your, your first project to get uh, some degree of national and, uh, I guess, international recognition as well. So tell us about your work to date. Okay, uh, so yeah, I've done a couple of projects over the last couple of years. Uh, one of my most successful ones was called Teachware, which was an online management system for primary school teachers to use and manage all their students in the cloud. So I entered it into the BT Young Sciences in 2014, and I, I came first in the junior technology category. Uh, since, since then, it, it went on to be a real success. We had 10,000 active users all over the world um, so that's probably one, one thing that I'm very proud of and uh, you've also got some corporate support for uh, Kids Code as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we have a lot of partners and uh, supporters uh, that are getting involved with Kids Code. Uh, I won the Accenture Innovation Award at Web Summit, so they awarded us €5,000 to work on the project. Uh, we're also working with the Real Madrid Foundation to transfer our technology with Kids Code and teach it to uh, poor people uh, that Real Madrid Foundation work with. Uh, we're also working with Gear Studio, who make the game Flappy Bird. They've licensed all their games to us so kids can make their own Flappy Bird in Kids Code. And also, uh, a number of different organizations such as uh, the Department of Education, Smart Futures and uh, Mind Candy. So, uh, you know, if you, if you were to be pulled in, in two directions at the same time, which would you prefer, coding or entrepreneurialism? Uh, oh, it depends really. Like, I really like both of them and I really like the way I can mix them both together. Uh, but I really do like being like the entrepreneur aspect. I like working in business, I like sales, I like marketing, but I love coding as well. Like, and I, I wouldn't probably be the same for me if I hadn't combined them both. I think the, the tech sector is kind of unusual in that, in that, in that the practical skills and the business skills, they really do grow up together. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, like just a startup atmosphere is just something that's really attractive to me. And the fact that you can make your own thing and sell it like yourself without any like, sort of really help is just something that's really attractive. You can be really independent, and that's what I like about it.
speaking now with Luke Gibson from Malhide Community School in Dublin, whose project is on testing augmented reality as a learning technology in geometry. So could you please decode that for us? Yes. Uh, well, augmented reality is a way in which di- digital information can be superimposed on the real world. So basically, make your favorite things come to life right in front of your eyes through a device. It's quite similar to the, the world-renowned virtual reality where you wear headsets and are completely immersed in the world. This probably has the, uh, the benefit of you still being able to see a true device and not being nauseous, as some people, uh, some people say that, that they are after using virtual reality. So you can still get all the information overlaid, but it's through a device. So basically, I looked at the, uh, the TIMSS results, which is the Trends in math- Mathematics and Science Study, and it said that the PISA results from uh, the previous years in, in Ireland were way down where we should be on, a, on an average. Um, are, we're quite comfortable when it comes to basic number skills, like writing a number between four and six, for example, or, but, but we're, quite, uh, we're, we're not as good, we're way below average when it comes to geometrical shapes and measures and doing stuff like that and theorems. So I decided to test my, the, the, the new technology on a geometry and see what it helped uh, what it helped them, the kids learn. So, and have you found much of a difference uh, between people who were using this additional technology over people who weren't? Because you might say that you know you're just adding something extra for people to learn how to use. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I taught one group uh, of six class students uh, with the augmented reality technology and one without. I gave them the exact same test afterwards. And when it came to uh, recalling visual information, like drawing the net of a cone, drawing the net of a cylinder, they scored over twenty. 20% better than the class who didn't use the AR technology, so there's a significant difference there for sure. And is this technology especially uh, expensive to develop or to roll out? Uh, at the moment it is the, um, the Oculus Rift uses some of this technology, to, it's coming out in the, in, in the next year, It'll be, that's quite expensive but I'm sure as time goes on it'll be less expensive, more profitable you can buy Google Cardboard which uses this which is uh, very cheap uh, you can buy uh, some of the Daiquiri headsets, quite cheap as well, so it's not, it's not too expensive and obviously you can download some of the millions of uh, augmented reality apps which uh, makes things your favourite things come to life right in front of you this is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Now I'm looking at a project that I guess you could say it's in the area of wearable technology. So to explain it all, I'm speaking with Emily Duffy from Desmond College in Limerick. Now uh, there's a baby doll, a nappy, and uh, a pillow. So uh, tell me a little bit about what your project is and how it works. Uh, my project is a nappy, and it is an early health indicator for infants, which will detect the early symptoms of child illness before you can see the physical symptoms. So um, this would be maybe a great diagnostic tool, perhaps for very concerned parents. It was designed to give parents a peace of mind and uh, a feeling of control over their child's health, and they will know when the child is sick or when the child is healthy. And uh, when you were coming up with uh, the idea for the project, what sort of technologies were you looking at? Uh, well, I was looking at the main two that I've actually used here. One is a, a thermometer called a liquid crystal thermometer. And it contains heat-sensitive liquid crystals in a plastic strip that changes colour to indicate different temperatures. And a urine analysis dipstick, which is a known method of uh, testing urine for solutions such as protein or glucose. And then uh, when looking for volunteers uh, to be tested, did you have, did you have any problems there? Uh, I didn't actually. Um, I went to the mother and toddler group inside in Newcastle West 
and uh, there was a group of very helpful women who gave their insight on their project and also my science teacher at school has a young child and she was able to do analysis on the project herself. Uh, so uh, we're not going to see this on the shelves uh certainly this year anyway, but um, have you approached any companies that have sort of expressed an interest or gone, look, this is, this is a really good idea, this is very positive development? Uh, I haven't been uh, di- contacted directly, but I would love to take it out to companies and market it towards them as kind of a side product. So if they have their own range of maybe 12 nappies, and three of which would be a nurse nappy, which is the name of the project, uh, so that parents, if they ever got an inkling that their child is even slightly sick, that they'd be able to put it on and understand whether the child is sick or healthy. So not, not so much nappy as nappy plus. Exactly. It's a modified version using two known technologies and an existing product to make an even better product. So continuing in the teams, I'm speaking with... Anna O'Connor. And... Julianne Kenny. From... Skullmore Gone Small in Blarney. And uh, your project is something that's quite topical at the moment in that uh, you've gone and built a weather station uh, and it's got a fairly familiar offender in the Raspberry Pi. So tell us a little bit about it. So we built a weather station using a Raspberry Pi. It measures temperature, pressure, humidity, wind speed, wind direction, altitude, rainfall, and it takes a picture of the weather as well. It uploads it to Twitter and to our app and website. So uh, in terms of just getting the raw results anyway, you have to wonder... uh, how accurate are you finding it? We've compared our results to the ones on the MedAaron website, and all in all, there's only about a degree or less of a difference between them, so it's pretty accurate. And uh, where is it positioned at the moment? Um, it's on the roof of our school. And so when it comes to actually sort of pushing the results out to Twitter, uh, how exactly does that work? Um, Basically, we have a Twython embedded in our code for the weather station, which uploads automatically the data to our Twitter page so that people can view it. And uh, how are you finding uh, it for attracting followers? Are you just getting students or are you getting pretty much everyone with an interest in what's going on? Um, At the moment, we're just getting some students. So we have around 30 followers, but we're hoping it'll go up. I am now speaking with Sophie Bridgman from uh, Desmond College, Newcastle, West Limerick. And uh, your project is called uh, the Tremor Controlling Glove. So uh, I'm looking at a, a prosthesis here and a, a very, um, uh, I wouldn't call it elaborate, but a very secure looking um, appendage on it. So tell us a little bit about the project. So um, it actually covers your up until your um, second knuckle on your fingers. So you still have, um, you can still have the full movement in your five fingers. So you can pick up um, a cup of tea or anything like that. And it steady, steadies your hands so that the tremor is then controlled and minimized. So uh, just looking at it, it runs probably about three quarters of the way up your forearm. So when you're putting the project together, at which stage did you go, actually, it has to be this size and not, say, all the way up to the elbow? Well, at the very start, we actually um, sat down with my art teacher. So he was the, he was like the whole way, reason why we're here, really. He's very good help. So um, we just made loads of prototypes out of cardboard. And um, we kind of went then went to my uh, a person that we were testing the gloves on, and we just put them on her hand and whichever we and this was the best solution really and then in terms of materials uh, what did you choose 
Well, we, we started off choosing nylon plastic, but um, as you can see, when you see it there, it didn't really work out for us. Um, we didn't have the equipment in our school to make it properly, so we ended up using aluminium. So we had to hammer it into place, uh, which took nearly <laughs> hours to make, but that, um, that's... And in terms then of uh, comfort for the user, did you find people were able to stick it for long periods of time or were people like, okay, I've done it for 10 minutes, that's, that's enough? So uh, when we were actually testing it for the second time, we had a prototype made that was the real thing. So um, we went over to the same person and we gave it to her, put it on her, and she said it was very uncomfortable. And we had the padding over there, as you can see it, and we asked her, if we put this in, do you, do you mind if we try it on you again? So we put it in and we asked her, um, can we put it on you? And she put it on, she said it was very comfortable and if it was a product that she would buy it. So there's quite a bit of trial and error involved. So yes. At which stage, you know, at any point where you're like, oh, this is just a really bad idea, it's not going to work for us, or were you just happy that this is just part of the process and we will get it right? There was no um, actual stage where we said uh, it's not going to work. We just kept going. Um, even if there was bumps in the road, we just, we had to go through it. We were going to come up anyway. We can't come up with no um, product. So you mentioned the role of your teacher uh, sort of earlier on. I mean, is the, is the role of the teacher, can it be understated or do you really need a good guide? Um, I think you really need a good di- guide. I wouldn't be here without my teachers. They are very supportive. And even in Desmond College, we have the be- I think we have the best science <laughs> apartment in the whole of Limerick and Ireland. I'm speaking now with Ewan Hills from Kalashtawur, Kilkenny. And uh, your project is, uh, it's an energy monitor, so uh, tell us a little bit about how it works. So how it works is outside houses and businesses you have uh, an energy meter box. Inside that box is a spinning disc and what our device does is it picks up that spinning disc, calculates the amount of energy that one revolution takes and because we've calculated that then we send the usage on uh, to a Bluetooth compatible device such as a laptop or a phone and um, we, uh, we can display the uh, usage here coming up on the screen. It also works with uh, an oil tank or agricultural diesel tanks where we have an ultrasonic sensor that bounces a wave of um, ultrasonic sound. It hits a liquid, bounces back up and then we calculate the time in between this. If the level drops too quickly, we then send a message to a phone or a laptop uh, telling you that you either have a leak from uh, your oil tank or that your oil is being robbed. And if um, the level drops slowly, as it would normally, um, uh, we can then uh, send a message when it, um, we can then send a message when the level is at the bottom or near the, near the bottom so that the so this is constantly updated in real time yes it's constantly updated in real time and uh, it, I guess then sort of it, it requires a little bit of programming on the interface level so um, how did you go about that so we use a uh, software piece of software called uh, Lego NXT 2.0 and we have uh, various blocks which tell the NXT what to do and how to carry out its actions such as read the black and white line on the meter etc like that so then uh, it's fairly obvious to see then there are plenty of applications in business and in the home exactly. so how did you go about testing it yourselves so we tested it on uh, Andrew's farm a member of the group and we tested it for two hours and it, uh, beca- it was within 0.5% of the actual reading and since then we've recalibrated the sensor so if we were to test it again it would be 100% accurate and uh, will you see it uh, being used in your own home, maybe? 
Uh, yeah, as well, because in the future we're going to update the uh, sensor on it so they can pick up water meters and gas meters. And water is such a controversial topic at the moment that if you can measure the amount of water as well as leakages, um, that'd be a big help to uh, businesses or households. And that was Niall Kitson talking to some of the best people at the Young Scientists Exhibition in the RDS this week. That's it for our show this week. Do remember to keep in touch with Irish Tech News with hourly updates, daily newsletters and much, much more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall at Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Take care. Get tech- Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.